0: In Matthew chapter 10, Matthew 10, we're going to be looking at verses 34 to 42 and returning to something that we began last week. Looking at these verses last week, and under the sermon titled The Marks of a Disciple, we were looking at the necessary changes that occur as a result of believing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God opens our eyes to the truth and our hearts to receive and believe that truth that God sent his own son into the world as a man and that he might have lived among men perfectly in full obedience and submission to the law of God and then to offer himself humbly as a substitute, a sacrifice on a Roman cross to die in the place of sinners. And to be raised from the dead on the third day and to sit now at the right hand of the Father where he intercedes on behalf of his church. To return someday as ruling king and establish his great messianic kingdom. When we believe those truths, God transforms us. The Bible says that we are given new birth. And it is from that position now we are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ and that discipleship works its way out in our lives and changes every single aspect of our lives. In the 8th chapter of Paul's epistle to the Romans, he writes the following beginning in verse 28. We know that God works all things together for good to those who love God to those who were called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified." What a powerful and rich nugget of gospel truth Paul has located there for us. But in the midst of that, there's a, there's a truth that has been brought great comfort to my heart in pastoral ministry through the years, and it's found there in verse 29, where Paul says that those whom God has loved eternally, he has sovereignly chosen to share the likeness of Christ. And the reason that has brought such great comfort to me through the years is because discipleship is assured. It is part of the sovereign plan of God. He is making us like Jesus Christ. And he will surely succeed in the task that he has set himself to. That is incredibly comforting when you work among people and look at your own life and recognize how far we are from the likeness of Jesus Christ. It would be easy to grow discouraged in all of that, and yet we have this promise from God that he has absolutely set himself to the task of making us like Christ, and it will succeed. But, beloved, that doesn't mean we're passive in the process. It is not a passive Process. It is not just to sit there and allow God to somehow zap us and transform us. Christian growth is brought about by the power of the Holy Spirit of God as we understand, believe, and obey the Word of God. That is the means and the mechanism that God has sovereignly chosen to make you and I like Christ. The Apostle Paul expresses that truth in Philippians chapter 2. And verses 12 and 13 where he writes, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is great to be on a winning team. And we are on the winning team Because God is for us, and if God is for us, who can stand against us? Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 to the end of the chapter, spell out for us four changes that occur. Four changes that occur as a result of following Jesus Christ. And we're looking at these four changes in some measure of detail because we want to measure the quality of our discipleship. What kind of disciples are we? And Jesus gives to us some qualities here that we need to look at and give some serious consideration to as we do a little self-evaluation in the area of discipleship. Beginning last week, we looked at the first two of them. So we will briefly review them again to kind of get a running start at the following two. But the first quality or the first change of a disciple is in verses 34 to 37, and that is that discipleship changes your loyalties. Discipleship changes your loyalties. Hear the word, of the, the word of the Lord. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. We noted last time that this is a very uh, unexpected, even shocking statement by Christ. That that which was most precious... To that ancient Jewish society, that is family uh, affinity, family love, family relationships, respect within the home. Jesus says he has come to tear it apart. He's come to tear it apart. And he's come to tear it apart in the sense that he will not permit any other loyalty to exceed the loyalty that he requires of us. And when that happens, when when our loyalty to Christ is, is brought into conflict with our loyalty to family, it brings amazing levels of conflict. And Jesus said we must not back down from our commitment to him in order to make family happy. Peace at home cannot ever trump peace with God through Jesus Christ. And so he says... That if one loves their father or mother more than me, then they are not worthy of me. In a modern idiom, what he is saying is that they don't have what it takes to be my disciple. One who has not given their total loyalty to Jesus Christ, he says, doesn't have what it takes to be his disciple. Sometimes following Christ requires the severing of family relationships. It's an unfortunate reality. But Jesus says that if that's what it takes, if your commitment to Christ and the new life that he calls for you brings you into conflict with family, and thus you must sever certain family relationships, then he says you must do it. You must do it. You cannot negotiate your loyalty to Christ. Discipleship changes our loyalties making Jesus the first and only loyalty of our lives. Secondly, discipleship changes the direction of our lives. Discipleship changes the direction. Verse 38. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. And We noted last time that this expression, take up one's cross is actually a a figure of speech that was commonly understood in that time. The Roman authorities valued submission to the Roman system. That was a high priority for them. Their empire was far flung across uh, most of the known world of that day. There was no way possible to have enough soldiers in every place in the empire in order to keep peace. And so Rome dealt with it by dealing in a very harsh way with rebellion. And what they did is they would crucify the rebels. A particularly uh, painful and a particularly public way of execution. And as part of the execution, they would require the rebel to, to carry the cross member on which they would be crucified publicly through the streets, wearing a placard on their neck, outlining their crimes against Rome. And the reason they did that was to demonstrate in this, in this person's final moments of life that they had come under Rome, that Rome was going to kill them, but not in some far-off way where they're going to maintain their defiance, but Rome was going to break them and Rome was going to publicly display them as a broken person under their submission all the way up through and including their death. And Jesus picks up on that, and he uses that as an illustration of what it means to follow him. And the issue is submission. The issue is submission. To to be a disciple of Jesus Christ is to come into and under his lordship. It is to be broken, as it were, to give up all sense of self-direction, all sense of autonomy, all sense of I'm going to work out life my own way and the rebellion that lies deep in the human heart and to and to come under his lordship, to believe him and to follow his word and his will. This is what it takes to follow me. And if... One does not come under the lordship of Christ, verse 38. He says, you don't have what it takes to be my disciple. There is no such thing as a disciple of Jesus Christ who lives in open rebellion against his lordship. That is, a, that is an impossibility. He breaks our will and he draws it under his own, and, but he does it in a loving way. He does it in a loving way where we want to follow him. But discipleship absolutely changes us. We become a slave of Christ, a slave of Christ. And that takes us to our third change that will occur as part of discipleship and it's in verse 39. Discipleship changes our loyalties verses 34 to 37. Discipleship changes the direction of our life, verse 38, from autonomy to submission of the Lordship of Christ. And discipleship changes what we value most in life. It rearranges our value system. Discipleship changes your values. Verse 39. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life... For my sake, will find it. Now, this expression, he who has found his life will lose it, and the related expression, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, is a deliberately paradoxical and and riddling statement by Christ. He has designed it this way in order to cause us to slow down and to ponder the meaning of to contemplate the meaning of of what he is talking about here. Whoever has found his life loses it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's a riddle. That's a paradox. That's something that should cause us to pause. Now the verb, to find, also carries uh, the meaning of to preserve or to to secure. And as used by Jesus here, we, we could also... Translate this as to, to live life for yourself. And I think that's an important idea that we need to grab hold of. He who, has, who, who lives life to himself will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will secure that which is truly life. The reference is not so much to martyrdom here, although certainly martyrdom would be encapsulated in this idea, but in light of the previous expression in verse 38 about submission to the sovereignty of Christ, his lordship over us, I think just a more general and and normal connotation is is better for us to understand verse 39. And and basically, I think what he's talking about here is, is ultimate values, the ultimate values of life. Those things that determine our priorities, that determine our decisions. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is is that whoever lives their life on the horizontal, looking for meaning through earthly success, will in the end lose what they're seeking while those willing to sacrifice life and relationships that we would normally consider as a measure of success in the here and now for the sake of Jesus will actually gain the life they are seeking both here and eternally. You probably heard this expression before, but how many times do people climb the ladder of corporate success, get all the way to the top rung, and then realize the ladder is leaning against the wrong building, right? You've heard that before. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. There is a paradox in being a disciple of Jesus Christ. We gain when we give up. We gain by giving up. The more we try to hold on to all the things in life that we think make it successful, Jesus says in the end you'll lose everything. But if you will give it up for him, you, are, you will submit to him, then in the end you will gain all that you had hoped for and more. All that you'd hoped for and more. Discipleship changes our values. It changes our values. It it changes what we think is important in life. Fourth, discipleship changes our activities. It changes our activities. Because being a disciple of Jesus Christ changes us on the inside, it, it also changes us on the outside in terms of our activities. changes our activities. A disciple is necessarily supportive of and involved in Jesus' mission. Necessarily supportive of, necessarily involved in Jesus' mission. It's going to change the kind of activities that occupy our lives. Discipleship changes our activities. Verse 40. He who receives you, receives me. And he who receives Uh, Me receives him who sent me. Jesus establishes a a missionary chain here. You see it? He's sending, we don't want to lose the the main context here. He is sending out the 12. These These are instructions he's giving to the 12 prior to sending them out on this preaching mission. He's sending them out as his representatives. And interestingly, he says to them here that, listen, I'm sending you out as my representative and whoever responds favorably to you is in reality responding favorably to me. You see that back in earlier in the chapter. And we, in verse 12, he says, as you enter a house, give it your greeting. And if the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. If it's not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. And or does not receive you or heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake off the dust of From your feet, for truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Why? Because if they reject the representative of Christ, they have rejected the king himself. And if they have rejected the king, there's nothing left. But Jesus goes a step further here in verse 40. He ties the twelve to him, but then notice he ties himself to the Father. Do you see it? Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. Jesus was sent into the world by God the Father on a great missionary endeavor to seek and to save that which was lost. And Jesus then sends his 12 disciples to to help carry out that mission. And so as one responds to the 12 disciples They are responding to Jesus, and as one responds to Jesus, he is, in fact, responding to God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. There's a missionary chain. Now, this is where it gets interesting, I think. And that's because you and I, who are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are links in that same great missionary chain. We are the spiritual offspring of the twelve. We are their spiritual offspring, having come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ through their word, which they have left to us, recorded in the pages of the New Testament. And so we become links in this chain as well. And so what that means is that that people's response to our proclamation of the message is an indication of their response to the one who has sent us, Christ, and ultimately responds to God the Father. So we're part of the great missionary chain. Now that's pretty powerful stuff if you want to think about that. Because what that means is, is that how people respond to those who proclaim the gospel reveals their ultimate relation with God the Father, creator of heaven and earth. They're tied together. When we identify with the message and the messenger, we are ultimately identifying with the God who began it all. Who began it all. And what Jesus goes on to say here is that by identifying with and thus joining in with those who are, who are sent from the Father, we enter into Rewards. It's really quite interesting here. He says it in in verse 41. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Now it's a little obscure, I will grant you. The, the whole linkage here is, is just a little bit obscure it's talking about prophets and prophets rewards and righteous men and righteous men's rewards and little ones and cups of cold water and so forth so uh, it is a little bit obscure to us but the basic idea that is running through it all is how do you relate to those who come in the name of the lord how do you relate to them and do you align with them do you align with them By aligning with them, you actually align with the one who sent them. You see it in verse 41. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet. That in the name of just means basically who they are. Who they are. And so you recognize them to be a prophet. You recognize them to be someone sent by God. And by extending hospitality to them, Jesus says that you you are entering into their mission. And by entering into their mission, you will actually enjoy the reward that they will uh, ultimately enjoy. And the same thing with a righteous man. You are participating with them. In verse 42, you get this thing about little ones and cups of water. And so you go, what does that mean? And essentially what that means is the little one is an expression of an insignificant one. It's talking about in comparison to a a prophet who was highly revered in Israel, uh, to the righteous man, all the way down to the little one, the insignificant one, the one that's obscure, the one that nobody really cares about or knows about, which is like us in the world. And by... By giving even the smallest token of hospitality, a, a cup of cold water, to, a, to an obscure, to an insignificant follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus says, truly listen to me, I'm promising you that you shall not lose your reward. There is great reward in that. We enter in to the mission of those who have been sent. Whether they're people that are, that are of public acclaim, or whether they're just the small and insignificant members of the body of Christ in society. We demonstrate our commitment to Christ who sent them. We demonstrate our commitment to to the mission upon which he has sent them by how we respond to them. Whether we minister to them or not. You can say it this way. The disciple participates in their activities when responding favorably to those who are on mission for God. On mission for God. That means that our activities have to change. To be a follower of Jesus Christ means that we cannot live for ourselves, that we are living for somebody else, that we need to be involved in the work that Christ has left us here to serve. Now, we're not involved in it all of it at the same level and in the same depth, And in the same capacities. But everybody is involved. Even if it's a cup of cold water. To a a nondescript insignificant believer somewhere. Everyone is involved. Everyone. Some dramatic changes that occur. When one becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ. But let's talk about applying this text. Let's talk the rest of the morning here about how to apply what we've learned in the last two weeks. Fair enough? Let's do some application. Jesus has given us some very clear statements, some very pointed statements about what it means to be a disciple. And so we need to figure out how to, how to utilize these truths in submission to the Holy Spirit of God and perform a little investigative uh, spiritual inventory, a little self-evaluation it's a great time. It's the beginning of the summer, right? All the hectic stuff has passed. Summer is like footloose and fancy-free, except if you live in Southern California. Or it just gets busier. But it's important to slow down and to do a little self-evaluation. Take a little time to kind of see, where am I at? A little spiritual gut check, as they say. And Jesus has given us some really powerful ways to investigate Where do we stand with him? A couple years ago, a friend of ours, Colin Marshall, was with us. He spent about a week with us, if you'll remember. And uh, Colin wrote a book called The Trellis and the Vine, and we highly encourage you all to read it. And I think we gave away almost 200 copies of that book, and many of you have read it. If you've never read the book The Trellis and the Vine, I highly recommend it to you. Put it on your summer reading list. And read it because it contains some very, very significant ideas in terms of disciple-making. And there were a number of things that came out of Colin's time with us, uh, not the least of which was one-to-one Bible reading, right? And we, we, it's part of our fabric now. We talk about one-to-one Bible reading all the time, and we have lots of people involved in one-to-one or small group Bible reading. It goes on all through the week, all over the place. And it's a very good discipleship tool. But one idea that, that Colin presented in that book, The Trellis and the Vine, that I think was, was very, very helpful was, a, was kind of a simple way to look at the process of discipleship. The process. And in his book, he, he broke down disciple, the disciple-making process into three aspects. Three aspects. The first was conviction. Conviction. And conviction is just a, a simple word to, to carry the idea of what do we believe? Our conviction? What do we believe in terms of, of our Christian faith? So a disciple has to grow in conviction. That is, they have to grow in their knowledge and understanding of the Word of God. The discipleship process is part of it is to help someone grow in their understanding of the Word of God. Conviction. Next is character. Character. Another aspect of discipleship is a person's character. That is how they behave. So it's conviction, what we believe. It's character, which is how we behave. How we behave. That is, the things we believe uh, need to drive the way we behave, the way we live our lives. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. So character is another essential component of a disciple. One who is growing in the likeness of Jesus Christ will be growing in the character of Jesus Christ. They will reflect him as part of their character. So conviction, character, and then competence. Competence was the third. And competence is uh, another C word that makes it easy to memorize, but it also is a is a is a way to speak about ministry skill ministry skill one who is growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ is growing in their ministry skills they are part of the mission they are on mission for Jesus Christ they are links in the chain their their lives have 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 undergone a transformation in their activities whereby they are now entering into the missionary endeavor of Christ. Some in in very public ways and some in in smaller and more obscure ways, but everyone is involved in the mission. And so our competence in how how we do those things is something we can and should grow in. So as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we we want to grow in our, in our convictions, that is, in our knowledge of the Word of God. We want to grow in our character, that is, we want to grow in our likeness of Jesus Christ. And we want to grow in our competency, that is, we want to grow in our ability to minister the Word of God to others, both unsaved and saved. This is what it means to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, for more than a year, the elders have been working on a, on a holistic plan of discipleship. A disciple-making plan, and it's taken a long time, admittedly, to really try to think seriously about the imp- the implementation of a conviction, character, and competency-based discipleship model. And there have been a lot of discussions, and a lot of a lot of prayer, and a lot of study, and a subcommittee working on it, and and bringing it back to the to the full elder committee or council, and and them saying, eh, I don't know, go away and work on it some more. It doesn't quite work yet, and. And so there's been a lot of that back and forth. And we've been doing some field testing of things along the way and so forth. Well, we're, we've arrived. I mean, not, we've not arrived like this is the end of life. But we've arrived at something that, we're, that we uh, believe will help this body in the years to come to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. And it it is our prayer and it is our hope and it is our goal that it becomes part of the DNA of what it means to be part of Foothill. That We begin to think about discipleship in terms of conviction and character and competency. And that we will use it to evaluate our own growth, our own spiritual growth, and for when we are working with someone in a disciple making relationship, we will use it to evaluate their progress and thus be able to tailor our time with them to help them in that area where they need to grow the most. So, this plan will begin to roll out more formally this fall. This fall. And it, it's a Sunday school and small group based approach. So it will be delivered through the Sunday schools and through the small groups, and through a retooled and revised Bible school. So the Bible school has, um, has been on hiatus for what, coming up on two years, I think. And it will begin again in September, and the curriculum will be retooled and, and refocused in order to help people to grow in the area of competency and conviction. Competency and conviction, primarily. And it's our hope to begin to roll it out, as I said, in September. Okay, So rest this summer, because come September we're going to have a bunch of work to do. Now thinking some more about character, and this section of Matthew, verses 34 and following, has has caused me to do that. As I think more about character, normally I go to to Galatians chapter 5 and the fruit of the Spirit, Right? That is the, the fruit that the Spirit of God produces in the believer. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Right? These, are, these are character qualities of one who is walking in the Spirit of God. And that's good. It's definitely a good thing to think about and a, and a priority to, to focus on in the discipleship process. But it doesn't really get at the issue of priorities. It doesn't really get at the issue of priorities. And the more I've been thinking about uh, living in Southern California, the more I've been thinking about how our priorities are pulled in a million different directions. This is a very, very busy and hectic place to live. And, you know, we joke, we say, you know, summer is here, we, we ought to be able to relax, and yet our summers, it seems, get just as full and just as busy as the, the normal school year. And there are many things that are tugging at us and pulling at us and, and clamoring to be priorities in our lives. And so as we, as we talk about Christian character, we need to talk about priorities. Because Jesus talks about priorities. Jesus is, in this section uh, in, here of Matthew chapter 10, he makes some really jolting statements, doesn't he? I mean, you should have seen the looks on your faces last week. When I read the section, uh, there where Jesus says, I didn't don't think I came to bring peace on the earth. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword that is conflict. And, and, I, and I said that, and, and people are looking back at me, and they're thinking, uh, that's not the Jesus that I know. Well, it is the Jesus that you know. It is the Jesus that you know, because properly understood, Jesus is saying, listen, there is only one priority in life, and it's me. And there are so many things clamoring to take priority in your life and in my life. And so as part of the discipleship process, we need to look at priorities. And and this section of Matthew 10 helps us do that. It helps helps us to, to look at our loyalties in life. Who are we loyal to? What are we loyal to? It helps us to to evaluate our our, our values in life. What do, what do we think is most important? It helps us to evaluate our direction in life. Where are we going? We had a wedding yesterday, and just just prior, you know, to the wedding beginning, I, I have, always have the opportunity to be off to the side with the groom, and it, it's a great time to just talk a little bit and pray together and. As I was doing that uh, and talking with him, and, and he said, Man, it seems like everything's going so fast. And I said, You just wait until you get married. It's going to go faster. And I wait till the first children, you know, first baby comes. It's going to go faster faster still. And I said, You know, you, before you know it, you're going to look old like me. And you're going to look back on it and you're going to go, Wow, where did it all go? And, and, if, and if we don't slow down, And if if we don't take the time to to figure out which train track we're on, we're going to end up someplace and look back on it and go, where did I, how did I get here? How did I get here? So we need to evaluate the the direction of life. And and finally, we we need to be evaluating our activities in life. Am I involved in the mission for which God sent his son into the world? Can I identify myself with that? And can I point to certain activities of my life that directly contribute to the purpose of being here? The purpose of being here. Listen, if the purpose of of redemption was merely to to wipe away your sins and, and enable you to live in fellowship with God, then why not take me home to heaven right away? There's more to that. Where there's a mission going on and I have a part and you have a part. And everybody has a part. Some are larger and some are smaller, granted, but everybody has a part to play. You know, we live in a, in a day and an age where unemployment is a problem, right? Well, it should not be a problem in the church. We should be in a full employment setting everyone is gifted the apostle paul says everyone is necessary to the body everybody has something to contribute and everybody needs to be involved it's part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ so so these are the priorities priorities and Matthew 10 here gets at it it really gets at it so when you're working with somebody you're you know someone says hey can can we can you disciple me? Sure. Sure. I would love to, to meet with you and, and disciple you. I'll tell you what, let's, let's begin with, with uh, Matthew 10, 34 to 42, and let's take a look at your priorities in life. Where are you going? And then based on, how, on that evaluation, we can know where to focus our time together our time of prayer together, our, our time of study, our, our counsel, our, the encouragement. We can, we can be targeted with it. There's a lot we can do to apply this section in the process of disciple-making. We can apply it in our homes as well, parents. You can apply it in your homes. One of the questions that, that frequently occupies the, the mind of parents is the spiritual condition of their children. The spiritual condition of their children. Parents wonder often, are my kids really saved? Do my children really know the Lord Jesus Christ? Are they walking in the faith? And how can I know? I mean, they've been raised in a Christian home. They, they've come to Sunday school. They've come to Awana since the time they were. They've known nothing else. But, but is it sticking? Is it real? How do I know? Well, these marks of, of Christian character provide a, a mechanism of diagnostic. It's a way for moms and dads to, to do a little, a little soul diagnosis in their children. Help you to see your kids for who they really are. Now, I need to issue a caution in this, uh, moms and dads. Here's the caution. Christian growth is frequently slow. It is frequently slow. And so I say that because you need to resist the temptation to expect your children to, to demonstrate the spiritual maturity of someone who has been walking with Christ you know, for two decades when they're only 10 years old. Okay. Give them grace. Parent them with grace. Cut them some slack as you want others to cut you slack and as God demonstrates his grace with you. But there's still an evaluation tool that's important, I think. It begins with loyalties. Take a look at your children's loyalties. Ask yourself this question. Does my child publicly stand for Christ or does peer pressure drive him or her? Do they publicly stand for Christ, or are they driven by peer pressure? What I mean by, are they one way on Sunday, or when they're in my home, and are they another way when they're outside of my home? What is driving them? I mean, Jesus says, listen, if, if uh, your loyalty to your parents has to take second place to your loyalty to me, then certainly your loyalty to your peers has to take a, a lower position than your loyalty to Christ, right? So we're evaluating loyalties. Where is your child's loyalty? Secondly, direction. Is my child generally submissive to authority? Is that generally true? Are they generally submissive to authority? Or do they chafe under it? Does it it cause them to, to well up? If I show them from the scriptures what God says, does that end the discussion? Or does it go on? Listen. Here are two words. I'm going to give you two words that should never go together in the vocabulary of a Christian. But Lord. Okay? Those words should never be put together. But Lord. And then spill out whatever it is. Okay? When Christ says it, that settles it. That settles it. Are your children submissive to your authority? Are they submissive to authority in general? Are they submissive to the Word of God? This will speak volumes about what's going on in their hearts. Take a look at their values. What do they value in life? Are they worldly minded? What I mean by that is is, is their, their their energy and their drive on the horizontal? Is it focused on the things of this life? Or do they express concern for the kingdom of Christ? What and who are they willing to sacrifice for? Is a good question to ask. Everybody is willing to sacrifice for something. Who and what? are your children willing to sacrifice for? Talks about their values. It, it reveals their values. Fourth, their activities. Their activities. Listen, when they're young, they're going to be here. I get it. Okay, They don't have any choice. The question is, is when they begin to get older and now actually have some autonomy, how do they express their value or their, their, their activities of life, their, their choices? Do they come willingly Do they come willingly? Do they they need to be constantly reminded of spiritual things? Or is there a sense in which they're hungry themselves and pursue it themselves? Are they part of Jesus' mission? Their activities. There's not a perfect diagnosis, but these are helpful in, in trying to bore down in and have a true look at their heart. And listen. As, as a parent, you want to know what's really true. There's a, there is a temptation, I know, to, to, to want to be deceived. And that is, a, you know, hey, they were young. They made this profession of faith when they were really young and so forth. And I'm, I, I just want to block out every evidence contrary to that original profession of faith and rely on that for their eternal destiny because it's safer. But we, we've got we've to muscle past that. We have to ask the real questions. Maybe they were this way when they were six, but now that they're 12 or now that they're 18, what do they really like? What do they really like? And you want to know because you love them, and you want to utilize the opportunity to evangelize them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is application in our homes. This text has application to us personally. All right, a little spiritual inventory, right? Ask, or, ask yourself: where, where are my loyalties? in life. What direction, you know, where am I headed? Am I am I generally submissive or do I have a problem with authority? Do I humble myself before the word of God when the Bible says it is it does that settle it for me or does my mind immediately begin to think of all the possible loopholes and exceptions? What do I value in life? What am I involved with? What are my activities? Very, very, very helpful to do some self-evaluation. Listen, we all fall short. We all fall short. So this is not designed to to like beat ourselves up with. Let's let's um, you know whip ourselves all summer long. It is the direction, not the perfection, of our lives. That's what we're looking for. And, it, and if and if when we do it, we find that we're a little off course. You know, we're, we've kind of maybe taken a, an exit ramp, then we need to get right back on the highway again. And summer is a great time to, to do all that. So, this is a powerful text, a very, very powerful text, and a very practical text. Very practical. May the Spirit of God just use it this week and, and beyond as, as we think seriously about making, maturing, and multiplying disciples of Jesus Christ. Beloved, we're part of his mission. Part of the mission. I'm going to pray here in a minute. And as I pray, uh, i ask the musician to come back up. I'd like to close the service by singing that new song again, Behold Our God. So while I pray, uh, if you'll come back up. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word Thank you Father that you don't uh, cut us any slack in it. You just give us the truth. Thank you Father that your spirit resides within us and and since it's his word, he 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 is jealous for it and and desires that it be received by us with with eyes of faith. Lord, I pray for us as a congregation. I pray for me and and each and every brother and sister here this morning and pray that, that this week we would do a little bit of inventory, a little self-evaluation. and Father, that your Spirit would, would enable us to, to understand what's going on in our own hearts and we could arrive at an accurate diagnosis of who we are and, and what we're about. And Father, in a a crowd this size, there there is bound to be some people here who, who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. They know about Him, maybe many things about Him, but they are not known by Him. And so their lives do not reflect the characteristics, the marks of a disciple. So I pray, Lord, this week, That your spirit would prompt them to do some self-evaluation as well and and be able to see themselves as you see them. And Father, should that be that they come to that conclusion that they really are not known by Christ, they are not really his disciple, the the things of his kingdom do not really move them and, and motivate them, and Father, I pray that you would grant them faith to humble their hearts, fall on their faces to beseech you for mercy. To call out to Christ to save them, to believe on him and his death, burial, and resurrection as their only hope. And Father, I pray that you would be merciful to their soul to save them. Oh Lord, do a good work among us. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.